The Leader brings you news, analysis and commentary from the Evening Standard every day at 4pm. Subscribe through your podcast provider to make sure you're always up to date. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Keep your distance. Doctors tell the public to avoid close contact as fears of a global coronavirus pandemic rise. The government says it's ready. As of this morning, 7,132 people in the UK have been tested for the virus. So far, 13 people in the UK have tested positive of whom eight now have been discharged from hospital. Health Secretary Matt Hancock updated the Commons earlier, but is enough being done? We ask our Deputy Political Editor, Nicholas Cecil. Also... Please give a big, warm Scottish welcome to Harry. A prince no more. Harry drops his title as he begins his last engagements as a royal. And... People can sway backwards and forwards with their pints in their hands, singing my, my, my delight. End of an era. The iconic sing-along Wednesdays at London's Coach and Horses in Soho have their last hurrah. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment in a moment. What the government's doing to stop coronavirus and what more could it do? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Mr Speaker, with your permission, I'd like to update the House on COVID-19 coronavirus. In the midst of the biggest public health emergency for a generation, Health Secretary Matt Hancock insists the government is ready for coronavirus. 
Mr Speaker, we have a clear four-part plan to respond to the outbreak of this disease. Contain, delay, research and mitigate. We're taking all necessary measures to minimise the risk to the public. Earlier, a World Health Organization doctor advised the public to keep their distance, warning the infection rate is high if you're close to people. In a city like London, one of the most visited in the world, with hundreds of thousands packing into the tube every day, that's going to be difficult. There are only 13 confirmed cases in the UK, but as Matt Hancock told MPs... We expect more cases here. The Evening Standard's editorial column says if the government has a plan, now is the time to tell us. When disasters strike, people turn to the government to help sort things out. So what's happening? Not enough. This is the moment to get the country ready for what might be a more serious situation. What we all need from the government is leadership, organisation and communication. We can be sure the NHS is putting plans in place and the Department for Health is taking a lead. But let's hear more about those plans. For everyone right now, there's the challenge of finding trustworthy information. But it hardly begins to answer the bigger questions people have. What, for instance, does it mean to self-isolate? All these questions and more are ones people are asking. It's the government's job to take a lead. That means calm, reasonable and clear advice. Our deputy political editor, Nicholas Cecil, is in our Westminster office. Nicholas, Matt Hancock says the UK is ready for coronavirus. Does he really have a plan? Yes, uh, David, there is a plan. The government haven't given much detail yet of this plan, but they have various plans for various scenarios, including worst possible scenarios of, of a great deal of cases here. The general public doesn't know very much about these plans, however. Do we know anything more than what the minister's already said? Certainly, at the moment, the message that the health chiefs are trying to get across is very, very basic stuff, such as washing your hands and not going around coughing and sneezing over people. That may sound quite limited, but actually it's a very important message to get across, particularly washing your hands, because this virus is believed to particularly be spread uh, from people getting it on their hands and then putting their hands to to their faces and touching their, their nose or mouth. And, of course, the UK does have the NHS, which, unlike some other countries, is a pretty efficient health service. So presumably there are there are plans in place with health chiefs there to deal with what could be a large number of people infected with coronavirus. Yes, um, doctors uh, in London are, are, are concerned whether the NHS could cope, and, and they've spoken to the standard about that. The Department uh, for Health insists that the, the, the health service will cope. There's some ideas already coming out. For example, rather than getting hundreds, if not possibly thousands, of people going to hospitals to be tested, they will be sending out home testing kits. So it could be a bit like a pregnancy testing kit. So people will be able to do that themselves. They've also set up units outside A&E departments so 
people who might have coronavirus don't have to go into the hospital, into crowded emergency departments where they could possibly pass on the, the infection. So in a way, it, the, a lot of this is about keeping people away from each other, isn't it? Because there is a potential of... of it's a very infectious bug coronavirus or COVID-19 as it's officially known, uh, particularly when you're close to people. And that was a warning that one of the doctors from the World Health Organization put out today to try and keep your distance from other people. But in a city like London, Nicholas, that's going to be hard. Yes, it, certainly in some environments that, that will be hard. For example, if you're travelling on the tube, you're, you're likely, likely to be crammed in with lots of people. But the advice does make sense, really, because you can take steps just to not get too close to people. And actually, here the natural British reserve might actually be a secret weapon uh, against the virus. British politeness might keep us safe. Yes, um, that's certainly what Dr David Nabarro was suggesting. He led UN campaigns against Ebola and cholera, and he certainly says social distancing it could be very important. Matt Hancock said in the comments today that there have only been 13 confirmed cases of coronavirus and eight of those people have been discharged from hospital. So it's not on the spread or it doesn't appear to be in the UK right now. But what about in the rest of the world, in places like Italy? Well, certainly today, there were actually more cases outside of China than inside China. There were 411 cases in China um, confirmed today and 427 outside China. So the Chinese authorities have taken very draconian measures to get the virus under control. And that has given health chiefs some optimism that that this COVID-19 can be contained. But it is spreading in other countries, including Iran, which is a big concern, Italy, northern Italy, and also South Korea. So people coming back from Iran, special zones in South Korea and lockdown areas of north Italy are being told basically to safe self-isolate for 14 days, even if they don't have symptoms. Next. With Harry, he's never been particularly comfortable with the Prince title anyway. When he was in the army, he loved being Officer Cadet Wales. The Evening Standard's Insider Editor Lucy Pavia on Harry. Just Harry. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
couple of days ago, the rock star John Bon Jovi joked that while working with the Duke of Sussex on a charity record, he called him the artist formerly known as Prince. At least we thought he was joking. Maybe he knew something. He's made it clear that we are all just to call him Harry. So ladies and gentlemen, please give a big, warm Scottish welcome to Harry. That was Harry's introduction at a sustainable travel conference in Edinburgh earlier. He no longer wants to be called a prince, even on his last few engagements as a royal. The Evening Standard's insider editor Lucy Pavia is with me. Lucy, how much of a surprise is it that he's dropped the title before he's officially quit the job? Um, I don't think it's a huge surprise. I mean, he, they're doing this sort of Brexit-like transition um, on March 31st. So it makes sense to sort of begin that transition now as he does his final royal duties. And it would be a bit odd if um, he did insist on everyone calling him Prince Harry still, given the plans are already in place and the exit's in motion. How important have royal titles been to the royal family? Obviously, royal titles are very important for those who are directly in line to the throne. So um, William is on effectively this fast track to the throne as the firstborn son. Um, So William can't really get away with with saying, you know, call me Will, because it sort of completely erodes the idea of the monarchy, which is relatively fragile now, even now. Um, Whereas Harry, you know, he's further down the pecking order now he's been bumped down the pecking order by um William and Kate's children um arguably is there any need for royals who aren't directly in line to the throne to follow those quite outdated airs and graces and also I think with Harry he's never been particularly comfortable with the prince title anyway um when he was in the army, he loved being Officer Cadet Wales, and and um, he told he said in an interview in uh, 2013 that he got quite upset when people in the army called him Prince Harry and not Captain Wales. You know, it suggests that this is the sort of yoke that he's been wanting to shrug off for a long time, and he finally can. I wonder how it felt when somebody announced him as just Harry there in Edinburgh. I wonder how his father, Prince Charles, feels about that. Yes. Well, what's so interesting is that this this has happened so fast between the generations this change that if you consider the fact that when Charles and Diana were first dating before they were married she had to call him sir you know and I think they only met you know I'm not entirely sure the number of dates but it was only seven or eight times so it's sort of sir past the broccoli vibes to call me Harry in one generation. So Diana wasn't calling Prince Charles, just Charles, then? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure she she was after they married, but she had to call him sir. Um, what was Harry doing in Edinburgh? Harry, It's going to take me a while to get used to that. What was Harry? Yes, Harry. Hazza, <laughs> to his friends. <laughs> Harry was launching um, Travelist, which is an eco-tourism company, which is interesting because obviously there was that furore over the, u- the use of private jets, which he defended, um, I think it was last summer, he took... Uh, three or four private jet trips and he said that that was to protect his wife and child there was a bit of backlash over that it feels like this travelist um, initiative and it's a great initiative is a way to sort of come full circle on that Um, and I think he is now flying commercial and you can read more from Lucy at standard.co.uk forward slash insider now 
every Wednesday for years, the jolly patrons of Soho's Coach and Horses have gathered round the old Joanna to belt out the classics. Sing-along Wednesday is almost as famous as the pub itself, which was once the regular of people like Peter O'Toole and Dylan Thomas. The Evening Standard lists it as one of London's top 50. But when the bell rings for last orders tonight, it will toll for the end of an era. Under new owners Fuller's, sing-along Wednesday is over, although they are keeping the Saturday version. The last one will be led by pianist John Orchard, who is with me now. John, sing-along Wednesday's been around for years. When did you first get involved? Well, I actually walked into the Coach and Horses in 2014 and put my business card on the bar there and said, if you ever need a pianist to stand in when any of the other pianists are not available, please contact me. And I got a phone call within a week, so actually uh, it'll be six years come uh, next month. So I'm coming up for my sixth birthday there at the coach. (laughs) What was your first night like? I took along with me lots of song sheets, which I handed out, and uh, the the then landlord, Alistair Choate, said to me, no, no, don't use the song sheet and make it a communal thing. And uh, so what I did was I ended up making the words to the songs in a much larger font, and I now have them on top of the piano in a sort of a giant Rolodex gadget thing that I've made. And it means that people can group around the piano if they want to, or they can still stay stay sat at their tables uh, in in any other part of the bar. Over these last six years, you must have picked up some good stories. Are there any memorable Wednesday night uh, events that have taken place that you can reveal? Yeah, the ones that I can reveal. We did have... I wasn't actually part of it. We did have a a night when actually the Cajun Horses sing-along was a nudist night where everybody had to be starkers. Um, that's that I think is referred to in the Evening Standard recently. So I mean that's a bit of a one-off. Um, hats off to uh, Luke Meredith, my friend who played the piano that evening. In fact, not only hats off, he took everything else off. Bless him. What are the big belter numbers? What are the ones that just immediately get everyone up with their pints singing along? Queen's Don't Stop Me Now and also Tom Jones's Delilah that's always a big one because I think that's in a 3-4 waltz tempo and people can sway backwards and forwards with their pints in their hands singing my 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 Delilah and they love it The idea of being part of a, a group sing-along is not what they want to do at the beginning, but within uh, some minutes, you know, they find that they are part of it. When you first started, and, and maybe even today, did you have a feeling of carrying on a legacy? Did that feel important to you? At the beginning, it was just me wanting to get work, really. I was just uh, looking to get back into show business. I'd had a 30-year break from it. But once I got to the coach and found what a wonderful atmosphere it was, then I just was so keen to stay a part of it for as long as I possibly could. So when Fuller's took over the pub a year ago, um, I was so glad that they kept the sing-alongs going. And it's great news that even though the Wednesdays are finishing tonight, they are going to carry on with Saturdays uh, ad infinitum. I bet those Saturday nights are, are pretty special too. They are, because, I mean, it's the busiest night of the week in Soho. And we're so lucky because the Coach and Horses, of course, which is a very famous pub, it's been there for hundreds of years, it's placed sort of halfway between the Prince Edward Theatre and the Palace Theatre. So we've got all the theatre-goers that are tumbling out of the Prince Edward from seeing Mary Poppins. And the Harry Potter fans are coming out of the Palace Theatre. And I say to them, did you know about the sing-along? And they say, no, we had no idea. But we heard all this singing. We thought we had to come in and be a part of it. What are you going to be playing tonight? Well, I've just done my new list, actually. I've created my new index and I've just got it in front of me here. I've got 482 songs on it. So you say what song you want me to play. Uh, We look it up on the list of songs and away I go. And I'm basically there to play the songs that people want to sing. So whatever you want, I'll do it. Do you know what the last song will be? 
It should be old Lang Syne, which is, you know, should old acquaintance be forgot. So I think old Lang Syne's probably going to be in there. And maybe as an encore, show me the way to go home. And that's The Leader. You can subscribe through your podcast provider and please do share the show with your friends. We'll be back at 4pm tomorrow.